0: Al-Bayyan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar Bilmo. Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa, wa Today, inshallah, we'll continue with the common misconceptions and mistakes uh, that you find Muslims doing related to hajj. and this, this uh, before uh, hajj and Uh, We had, uh, I think, I believe, a second lesson as well about the misconception on Hajj, and this will be the third. So, inshallah, I'll try to wrap it up today, inshallah. So, uh, the Sheikh mentions it as point number sixteen in the book. She says the belief that wearing a watch or sandals with thread is prohibited. So, some people believe that if you are in a state of ihram performing Hajj Umrah, that you're not allowed to wear a watch. Wearing a watch would, they believe, is part of Mahzurat al-Ihram, because you know sometimes the band of the watch, the leather band has got stitches in it. Or because it's worn, you know, with like uh, whatever the strap is or something that's worn on the wrist. So they believe that this is not allowed. And this is false. Or wearing sandals that have stitches in it. Because they understand that you're not allowed to wear stitched clothing. And this is a misconception in probably the, what we mean by that. When we say that we're not allowed to wear stitched clothing, meaning you're not allowed to wear fitted clothing. And if For example, this thobe that I'm wearing, what was it originally? Before it was stitched up, it was just a cloth, correct? So this thobe before it got stitched and formed into the sleeves, that it is, if it was just a cloth, I could have wrapped it around my waist and used it as a ihram, as a izar and got another half of the cloth and worn it on my shoulders, used it as a ridah, correct? So what changed it from being a izar that's allowed to wear or a ridah that's allowed to wear to being cloth that you're not allowed to wear? Because it's stitched in a way to form over the limbs. So a izar, if you were to put pins, 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 pins around to make the legs, then it becomes, is that izar anymore? It becomes like trousers. So that's not allowed to wear. Right? Because they're fitted or they're stitched. It's not the stitching that's haram. It's that they form around the body. So the izar is something that's just wrapped around the waist. And the rida is something that's just thrown over the shoulders. Now some people that are like the izar, the, the rida thrown over the shoulders because it annoys them, it slips off and so on so they'll come and get pins, 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 pins pins, and they'll pin it over their arms and along their sides and now it fits good. Is that allowed or not allowed? Not allowed. Why? Because now it's become fitted. So I didn't stitch it with, with thread but I put pin, 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 pin. Okay, so the issue isn't the stitching but why they say stitching, because stitching is usually the way in which cloth becomes clothes. Okay? So, how about the sandals? You know, sandals that's got stitches in them. So, what do we do? They no, you can't wear sandals that have stitches in them, they're not allowed to wear stitched. Said, no, this is not not what's meant by it. They said you have to buy sandals, you know, the plastic molded sandals. I said, Do you think during the time of the Prophet they had plastic molded sandals that they would wear? What sandals do you think they were wearing? Leather sandals. How did they keep how did they hold the sandal together? With thread, with stitches. So that's not what makes a sandal uh, forbidden. What is meant by... Because what's the difference between... What you're not allowed to wear when instead of ihram is shoes. a nal So what's the difference between a sandal and a shoe? Alright, because the shoe is enclosed. Okay, sometimes you got sandals that are closed from the front and open from the back. Correct. And sometimes you have sandals that have a strap around the back but open from the toes. These are what? Sandals. But if it's enclosed from the front and closed from the back, they've become shoes. So if you have a sandal that is enclosed from the front and closed from the back, this is now a shoe. So no, it's a sandal. You know, it's uh, Colorado. It doesn't matter. If it's enclosed from the front and closed from the back, it becomes a shoe. But if it's open from one or both sides, then that's allowed. Doesn't matter how the sandal is uh, held together. If it's held together with stitches, it doesn't make it haram. But some people think, oh, there's stitches on your sandal. It's haram. This is a misconception. Okay? So a misconception is the belief that wearing a watch or sandals with thread is prohibited. And this is a mistake. The person in the state of ihram is prohibited from wearing sewn clothing. And the meaning of sewn clothing is the garment stitched according to the limbs of the body like a thawb or pants and the like. The word sewn clothing was mentioned by some of the Salaf explaining the statement of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, إِلَّا أَلَّا يَجِدَ النَّعْنَيْنِ فَلْيَلْبِسْ مَا هُوَ أَسْفَلْ مِنَ الْكَعْبَيْنِ وَلَا ثَوْبًا مَسَّهُ زَعْفُرًا وَلَا Wars. <clears throat> so the Prophet ﷺ stipulated what the Muhrim is not allowed to wear. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, a Muhrim, a person in the state of ihram, when performing the rituals of Hajj Umrah, should not wear shirts, al-qamees. So a shirt, as we said, is a cloth that has been Sewn to fit around the arms That becomes a shirt uh, Wala as sarawil. Sarawil are the trousers Or the pants And as well same thing If you got the izar Which is a cloth Wrapped around your waist But then you put So many pins or stitches And you now you form it around the legs They become They become trousers So you're not allowed to wear trousers Wala al-burnus Al-burnus is Uh, A a garment that is hooded A hooded garment Sort of like a poncho You know what a poncho is? Like that Doesn't it sort of look like a ridah It's just a cloth worn on the shoulders But it's got a hood You're not allowed to wear that Because It's sort of fitted Because the poncho is If if you've seen a poncho it's, It's sewn in the front And it's fitted And it fits over the head as well You can't wear What's khufain? Al khufain, usually we say khuf is socks or leather socks or shoes. Okay? You're not allowed to wear al khufain. Except if he uh, can't, uh, can't find sandals. Except if he can't find sandals. Then he's allowed to wear these leather socks. Or cotton socks or shoes, but they must be below the ankles. And this is proof against those who say that you are allowed to wipe on socks that are below the ankles. Because الخفين, that they're above the ankles or below the ankles. That they're above the ankles. That's the asal That's why the Prophet he said, if you're gonna wear the hufain, فَلْيَقْطَعْهُمْ asfal al in the other hadith, he said that if you're going to wear the khufain, then cut them below the ankle. Because normally they're what? Above the ankle. So this is why this is proof that the khuf must be above the ankle. It must cover the entire foot, including the ankle. As the scholars, they said, فليغطي مَحَلَّ Fard That for the khuf to be valid to wipe on, it must cover the area that is fard normally to wash. And what's the area that normally is to wash? Does it include the ankles or not include the ankles? It includes the ankles. Anyway, we'll go back to our topic. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said that if, you can't, uh, that, uh, uh, if he, a person cannot find sandals, in which case he may wear leather socks, but he should cut them so that they are lower than the ankles. And then he said, so these are types of things you're not allowed to wear. Types of shirts you're not allowed to wear, types of trousers you're not allowed to wear the head coverings that you're not allowed to wear uh, you can't wear uh, 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 socks or leather socks or shoes you must wear sandals and uh, you should not wear clothing that has been dyed with saffron or what. so what's saffron? saffron is that uh, plant that makes things uh, they, they use it in to dye cloth or sometimes they use it in food and when you put it with the rice it makes the rice what? Orange is yellow and when you put it with the cloth it makes the, the, the cloth orange is yellow. who wears orange yellow cloth and wraps them around them and wears them? huh? The Buddhist monks and the Hindus and things like that you've seen them they wear red and orange and yellow. there's not allowed for the Muslim to wear. okay? Because it then it looks like it imitates. They're, they're disbelievers, and this was actually this is actually a, a, a clothing of pride as well, because it's very expensive type of clothing. Anyway, thus it is permissible for the person in a state of ihram to wear sandals as they are. Say so, Allah to wear sandals as they are. As for watches and the like, the person can avoid wearing them to be on the safe side, based on the uh, statement of Ibn Umar. لَا تَاقِدْ شَيْءًا Don't attach uh, yourself to anything. Don't wrap anything on yourself. Don't have anything attached to yourself. So you can do that. But to say that it is against the ihram, this is not correct. So it is not against ihram to wear a watch or to wear sandals that have stitching on the sandals. Because this is a misconception of a misunderstanding of the Mahzourat al-Ihram, the prohibitions of Ihram. The next thing that you find is a misconception or an incorrect practice that Muslims do in regards to hajj is using musical instruments during hajj and outside of hajj. Now this might sound a bit strange. But he said it is not permissible to utilize musical musicians and musical instruments. The proof for this was mentioned in the section on fasting. Okay, so some people during the hajj, to throw their happiness and celebration, they'll use musical instruments to sing praises and things like that. This is not allowed. Sometimes they will have these to... Re- to <coughs> Sometimes they will bring musicians and musical instruments to welcome the Hajjaj when they return. This is well not allowed. Because the the use of these musical instruments, especially the fibrin types, and even those that may be permissible like the duff, but they are used in specific circumstances like Eid and weddings and so on. Okay, the next point, which is point 18, stoning the jamarat before the appropriate time. So some people that want to beat the crowd So they'll go to the Jamarat before the appropriate time The Hajj has a specific time so there's, For the Hajj, there's Miqat Zamani and Miqat Waqti It has an appointed place that you must do the Hajj And an appointed time that you must do the Hajj You can't do the Hajj now Well, I go to Hajj now, you have first, first class, first row seats But would it be valid if you did all the rituals of Hajj now? It won't be valid, it has a specific time and the rituals have a specific time. You can't go to Arafah the day before, the day after. Won't Even one day, even one hour outside the time won't be valid. So everything's got a specific time. So if you do something outside of the specific time, then this is uh, incorrect. If the person stones the Jamarat before the appropriate time, it does not count. And they must return and stone at the appropriate time. The time for stoning the Jamarat is the day of sacrifice okay yawm al for the entire day or during the night of eid yani at the end of the night for those left for those who left muzdalifa at the end of the night also this can be done during the days of mina after the sun has passed its zenith this has been affirmed in sahih bukhari from the hadith of ibn umar who said kunna فاذا زالت الشمس رمينا he said, We used to wait until the sun passed the meridian, then we stoned the Jamarat. So that means, why did they wait? Okay, because to stone before the sun passes the zenith, before Adhan al Dhuhr, is, is not valid. So they would wait. Because the valid time to do the stoning is after Adhan al Dhuhr. And likewise, stoning, you can't stone before you know the day of Eid. Okay? Jaber said الله الله So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم stoned uh, the jamarat on the day of Eid in the early morning of بحى So that's for the, the 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 rami of يوم النحر as for the days of تشريق then the three days after يوم النحر then there the stoning is to be done after ظهر after the sun passes the meridian. The whole time. Point number 19, another misconception or wrong practice that people do that's baseless is that they wash the stones of Jamarat. They wash the stones of Jamarat. And there is no evidence or virtue for this. And this is a mistake because the stones are not impure. They're going to wash them. Why are you washing them for? They're not impure. Nor is washing them going to make it more virtuous. There's no evidence of this. And it's not a condition that they be pure. They say just in case a dog urinated. On a, yani, uh, the asal the of everything is that it's pure until proven non-pure. So you can't just imagine maybe this, maybe that. I'll wash it just in case. No. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam threw the stones without washing them. And in the Messenger of Allah we have an excellent example. Al-Mu'afaq, he said, has been narrated from Ahmed that this washing of the stones is not recommended and and it has not reached us that this was done by the Prophet ﷺ. And this position is correct. It is likewise the position of Atta, Malik and many of the scholars. The Prophet ﷺ collected stones as he rode upon his camel and he held them in his hand and he did not wash them nor did he order anyone to wash them. Washing the stones has no required significance if the person throws stones which are impure, it suffices because it is a pebble, okay? So let's say, worst case scenario, there is najasa on them and he didn't know and he threw them, it doesn't affect because you know, it's just the pebble, the significance is the pebble it's not an issue that you need tahara or uh, or otherwise to make the stoning valid It's important, like with all of our acts of worship to follow the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ And not try to do things Even beyond what the Prophet ﷺ did Believing that there's going to be some sort of virtue Or believing we're doing it in a better way Or whatever Taim. And because this puts extra burden on a person That Allah has not you know, uh, Burdened you with Now point number 20 Women crowding with the men At the black stone This is as well a, a, a wrong practice Even the fact of the men Crowding is wrong and especially for women To put themselves among the men When they are crowding When they shouldn't be crowding Even then themselves Is worse Because they are exposing themselves to uh, uh, Being uh, touching men And men touching them in a, uh, Inadvertently Obviously unintentionally And it leads to disastrous things I've witnessed myself Women having their clothing ripped from them And their hijab ripped from them Because of their Intense crowding And because they're stuck between people And they pull themselves out And their hijab comes off And she's screaming in front of the Kaaba Without hijab Why would someone put themselves in such a position Even for the men we don't recommend them And we discourage them from crowding You know So how, how, how about for the women uh, And then someone will say Well the men shouldn't be there Let them make space for the women Tayyip, try to get them out if you can <laughs> I'd wish we can do that. And Aslan, they're supposed to have a line, there's actually technically a line for the men and a line for the women. And there's a guard h- hanging on the corner of the Kaaba and he's supposed to regulate it. But how much can he do? Sometimes he just gives up. And he just gets involved when it gets you know way out of hand. But you know, there's so much he can do, and then people get upset. But you know. At the end of the day, if we followed the recommendation of Rasulullah. If the Prophet ﷺ himself, when it was crowded, he didn't approach. SubhanAllah. And if the Prophet ﷺ, when he came, he approached the Kaaba and he kissed the stone. Then the second Tawaf, he came, he couldn't kiss the stone, he just touched it with his hand. The third time he couldn't even do that, he reached with his stick. He touched the Kaaba, then he kissed his stick. The the next time he couldn't even do that, he just indicated with his hand. And he's the prophet, if he wants to, he can go in, everyone move out of the way. He didn't do that. Hello, so you. Go If there's an opportunity, go. If not, don't. Someone says, I'm not pushing. You being there, you're causing congestion. Don't go there. So the woman, the woman is a awrah. Woman, a woman especially should be protected. Shouldn't be in a position where she's going to be any yani, squeezed against the men it is upon her to avoid the crowding with the men she must go towards that which will uh, she uh, must go towards that which will cause her to fall into sin and decrease her hajj or her obligations by crowding with the men and being a sight for them to look at kissing the black stone is not obligatory for those who are able to do so with ease without crowding then this is good if not it is uh, it is Obligatory to avoid the crowding Pardon me The Prophet ﷺ said to Ibn Umar Or said to Umar رضي الله عنه يَا عُمَرْ إِنَّكَ رَجُلٌ قَوِيٌّ لَا تُزَاحِمْ عَلَى الْحَجَرِ The Prophet ﷺ said Oh Umar you are a strong man Do not crowd around the stone Allahu Akbar Some of our brothers MashaAllah The guy Shaykh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push anyone Akhi because you're a huge guy Just you being there You're gonna cause so don't even go there. As the Prophet ﷺ said to Umar, don't even go there. He said, you're a big guy. Don't go there. He didn't tell him, go but don't push. No, don't even go there at all. Because you, being, your natural size being there is gonna... You, you just breathing, mashallah, pushes people out of the way. So this narration has been collected by Ahmed with some weakness in the chain of narration. Crowding which entails that which is forbidden... In the legislation it's prohibited. It's collected in Bukhari. She said uh can at Aisha radiallahu anhatufan uh hajratan minadijahri la to khalito hum. Call it him Raatun in Taliqi uh mia um al muin, call it in talikri anki uh uh in talikhi anki uh wa'abit. Aisha radiallahu hana used to perform tawaf around the stone separately from the men. She would separate herself from the men. And never mixed with them. Once a woman said to her, Aisha, mother of the believers, let's go and touch the stone. Because why is she Aisha? Oh, it's Aisha coming. Everyone will make room for her. Did she do that? She didn't do that. Aisha responded to that woman, you go without me. And she refused to go. She didn't want any chance, even though she is Aisha, the mother of the believers. She didn't want any chance for... Her to be crowded with the men. anha wa This statement was disapproval from Aisha رضي الله anha. And so every believing woman who takes Aisha رضي الله anha as her role model should do what Aisha رضي الله anha did. And every man who takes Umar as his role model should do what Umar did. And every man who takes Rasool, and every Muslim, man and woman who takes Rasulullah as his role model should do what Rasulullah did, and he would avoid the crowding when it was crowded. Number 21 Instructing others or entrusting others To throw the stones on your behalf without necessity Some people what they do To make it easier for themselves So that they don't do the stoning every day They entrust one person in the whole group To stone on the behalf of the whole group He takes your haram uh, A semi-trailer full of stones And he stones on their behalf And what he does subhanallah Very tricky He goes before maghrib (laughs) On one day, he stones and then he does a U turn and comes back and it's after Maghrib now and he stones for the next day as well. That's two in one. Even though it's valid because he, how far? Because the stoning is supposed to be done after Dhuhr and he did it after Maghrib. And how much time is that from after Maghrib until Dhuhr of the next day? <laughs> because he said, because after Maghrib now we've entered the next day. Correct? Inshallah. Very smart. Right, so he said, "I'm doing the stoning of the next day." but the next day is supposed to do it after dawn. He said, "Yeah, but some scholars said you can do a bit earlier if there's too much people. A bit earlier, a bit until Maghrib." and this is why these fatwa that were given and they are very dangerous because they make people laxed, even though technically they could be correct. But, you you got to look at the circumstances. Do you fulfill the conditions of the necessity and the hardship that the, the, the Mashaikh who did give that fatwa fulfill? It reminds me of the fatwa that some Mashaikh gave about buying a, a house with an interest loan. They said if you're going to be homeless and if you've got nowhere to live then you're allowed. But if you're homeless, which bank is going to give you a, bank, a loan in the first place? If you can't afford to pay rent then how, how's any bank gonna give you a loan To buy a house anyway yani Even the conditions are I won't say impossible But they're highly yani, Not applicable Because alhamdulillah We live in a country That at the basic level yani The citizens and residents Of the country are Entitled to government support Centrelink payments And so on They can pay basically rent And if they need extra help Alhamdulillah There are a lot of charities And brothers that can help but other than that, even if, let's say, you can't find a home, and let's say you be, do become homeless, they've got a government housing, an emergency housing. Even the government will pay for a hotel until you find a house. And Alhamdulillah, there are laws that protect tenants, and even you can't be evicted out of your house until you have an alternate accommodation to go to. But, يعني, the, the conditions that people, and then they go and they buy a house. They say, because the Sheikh said, if you can't, if you're going to be homeless, it's when you reach that situation, then then you can talk about. It. You're not going to reach that situation, so so it's very important when we when some people take fatwa that the, the fatwa sometimes are based on conditions. Type, do you fulfill these these conditions? Never going to be fulfilled. So this fatwa is never going to be fulfilled. Likewise, the fatwa to do with the stoning. That you can stone before the time or after the time. Tayyip, did, did that condition be fulfilled? Did you try to go from the beginning of Dhuhr? And you were waiting in the line and you couldn't do stoning until after Maghrib. And then he, he said, subhanAllah, the, the whole time from Dhuhr ta, to Maghrib, I couldn't do the stoning? And and then we can say maybe. But that didn't happen. Especially now, alhamdulillah, the, the, they've redeveloped the stoning, multiple levels and and and. And uh, they organized there even in the time where the Hajj was in full capacity Alhamdulillah We never had any issue Before in the olden days there used to be crowding and stampeding When the Jamarat was only two levels But now Alhamdulillah Situation is different Anyway So, uh, so this is a, 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 a wrong practice That some people do To make the Hajj easier Instead of them going to the Jamarat and doing stoning They go and they entrust someone else Why? No necessity they just want to kick back in the hotel and let someone else do it for them. If there's a necessity of a woman, old old person or a woman or whatever, it's hard for them to walk and walk back and they're tired and so on, then okay. But even that, we encourage them to push themselves because the Prophet ﷺ, he said about Hajj and Umrah that they're what? They're a form of sacrifice. They're a form of jihad for the women of this Ummah. We have to push a little bit to walk. But sometimes it's out of their abilities, too much hardship, no problem, someone can stone on your behalf. But if there's no necessity, then this shouldn't be done. There is no problem with women and the weak in trusting others to throw stones on their behalf due to the crowding and harm that occurs. But if there is no crowding or harm, there is no excuse. A group of scholars said entrusting someone to throw the stones on another's behalf is permissible for arbitrary acts are allowed outright for those who have the ability or those who do not have the ability. Okay. Point number 22. And this is a bit of a funny misconception and we probably hear stories about this but There are some people that believe it. And it's a misconception. That they believe that shaitan is tied to the jamarat post. And so when they throw the stones, they believe that they're throwing stones actually at the shaitan. So they throw the stones as hard as they can. And they get the biggest stones and I want to cause so much injury to the shaitan. This is a misconception. So believing that shaitan is present where the stones are thrown at the jamarat. This is incorrect. These three places are places where the shaitan appeared to Prophet Ibrahim salam. thus these places these are places of worship where Allah is worshipped by throwing the stones and remembering him shaitan is not present standing up standing upon the jamarat so you find people saying oh, curse you shaitan you cause me so much problems and they get angry and they pelt thinking they're pelting the shaitan no once one of the mashayikh he said, a, he said that this happened to him and he saw a brother coming, running, doing a big run-up, smashing the 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 jamara. He said, and he has big uh, a big stone." He said to him, "He said to him, brother, and he was a non-Arab, so he's trying to communicate with him half sign language, half Arabic, half English." They so he said, "Brother, you're not allowed to do this. This is a big stone." He said, "Because big stone for big shaitan." <laughs> he said, "No, no, no." there's no shaitan here he said, ah, I know now he said, what? he said, because you're friends with shaitan you want to protect him, get out of my way <laughs> why are you defending the shaitan? he's thinking, oh, you, you don't want me to hurt the shaitan? you're protecting him? so he pushed him out of the way and said, what can he do? anyway, a lot of funny stories like that so, uh, point number 23 inshallah, just three more points Leaving Arafah before sunset And leaving Muzdalifa before half of the night So some people So the Sunnah is That a person leaves Arafah after Maghrib And a person stays in Muzdalifah Spends the night in Muzdalifa. At least the majority of the night So as some scholars said As long as you spend the majority of the night Then you're fulfilled spending the night in Muzdalifah Some people leave يعني, Get ready to leave and you know, before Fajr walk towards the borders of Muzdalifah to get a head start, no problem okay? as long as a person spends the night in Muzdalifah the majority of the night, at least until half of the night but leaving before half of the night then you haven't spent the night in Muzdalifah some people they just they say, i oh, walk through Muzdalifah now, you have to walk through the Muzdalifah to, to get from Arafah to Mina, you have to walk through Muzdalifah they say, this is my spending the night in Muzdalifah this is you know, unfortunately taking some of the uh, shortcuts. طيب, as for remaining in Arafah until the uh, the sun has set, this is obligatory. The Prophet Wasallam remained there until sunset and the yellow glow had diminished a little. The meaning of the hadith, and this is the meaning of the hadith of Jabir. So why did the Prophet and the Muslims hold back until sunset and they didn't flee from uh, 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 from Arafah until after the sunset? Uh, right, and so. Even when they when they would flee from from Arafah after sunset, this is called al ifada. You know what ifada means? It's like a flood. So that when because when everyone would go all together, and the prophet and everyone would be rushing and and and, and going quickly. So this is proof that the, the Muslims should leave Arafah after sunset and not before. Therefore, it is mandatory to leave. To remain in Arafah, sorry, for a part of the night, even if it is just a small portion of it, based on the hadith of Urwa ibn Mudaris. Okay, so part of the night means after Maghrib, because once Maghrib hits, you've entered the night. Whoever departs before sunset must offer a sacrifice as an atonement. Likewise, remaining and spending the night in Muzdarifah is obligatory. This was done by the Prophet. ﷺ. He only gave an, allow- an allowance to the weak among them and the women and those with them, as previously mentioned. Whoever does not remain in Muzdalifah until half of the night pardon me, has abandoned an obligation. The Prophet ﷺ, said, Khudu an-ni manasikakum, Take from me the rituals of Hajj. Point number 24, and the second last one. A misconception is fasting the day of Arafah For those standing on Arafah So those who are performing Hajj Some of them they say Oh it's the day of Arafah The Prophet ﷺ said If you fast the day of Arafah All your previous sins will be forgiven So they're in Hajj And they're fasting Arafah This was not from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. This is a misconception The Prophet ﷺ did not fast the day of Arafah While present at Arafah It was narrated by Maimunah in the nasa shak شكوا في الصيام في صيام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم عرفة فارسلت اليه فارسلت اليه ميمونة بحلاب اللبن وهو واقف في الموقف فشرب منه والناس ينظرون اليه ميمونة رضي الله عنها the wife of the prophet وسلم, she said the people were not sure whether the prophet was fasting on the day of Arafah So she sent him some milk in a a container when he was standing in Arafah and he drank it while the people were looking towards him. So that removed any doubt that the Prophet ﷺ was fasting because he drank in front of everyone. So he was not fasting in Arafah. So when you are in Arafah, you are doing an active worship that is greater than fasting and is not from the sunnah to fast the day of Arafah, when you are in Arafah, when you're in Hajj. But if you're not in Hajj, then this is like a consolation for you, to fast Arafah, so that at least you get some rewards and virtues of having your sins forgiven, like the ones who are performing Hajj, they in Arafah, inshallah, they will have all their sins forgiven as well. So Allah gives us like a share of that virtue, that we share in that if we do some worships while we're not in Hajj. The last one, inshallah is busying the people with collecting stones for the Jamarat when they first enter Muzdalifah. So some people when they leave Arafah and they enter Muzdalifah, they immediately start to scatter and gather stones, getting them ready for the stoning on the next day. Believing that you can only take stones from the Haram area. And because Muzdalifah is the beginning of the Haram area, because Arafah is outside the Haram area. So Muzdalif is the first entry point Into the Haram area So they start to collect stones from Muzdalifa, Believing that you should only collect stones For the Jamarat from the Haram area There must be Haram stones Allahu Alam, Where they got these stones from Imported I don't know from where Especially the, the blue What are they called the blue stone Blue metal Anyway So uh, busying yourself with collecting stones from Muzdalifah Is a misconception It is from the guidance of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi That he collected stones the morning of the sacrifice Ibn Abbas Radiyallahu Anhu said Qala li Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Qadat al-Aqaba Wahoo waqifun ala rahilatihi Haati al-Qutli Haati al-Qutli Faqala Faltaqattu lahu hasayat Hunna hasa al-Khazaf فوضعهن في فوضعهن في يده وقال بامثال هؤلاء فرموا واياكم والغلو فانما هلك من كان قبلكم بالغلو في الدين the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said to me he said to abdullah bin abbas in the morning of al aqaba which is the morning of uh, يَوْمُ النَّحَر يَوْمُ الْعِيد while he was standing on top of his camel and he was sitting on top of his riding on top of his camel he said uh, come and pick up pebbles for me. So Abdullah bin Abbas went and picked up pebbles and he put them in the hand of Rasulullah Okay, so I came and picked up for him pebbles which were bigger than a chickpea. He put them in his hand and he said, with pebbles like this stone. So he picked out the bigger pebbles and he said, no, like this size. He picked the ones that were the size of a hummus. You know, the hummus... Not the ones after it's been soaked in water because they get bigger. Not the ones that you eat at the Lebanese restaurant before they're soaked. Very small. So pretty much if you look at your pinky finger, see the nail of your pinky finger, maximum that, that big. Maximum. Okay, These are called Habbatul Okay, He said don't get stones bigger because this is extremism in the religion. And indeed what destroyed the nations before you Was extremism in their religion So the Prophet picked the pebbles that were big And he threw them out And he said beware of going to extremes For those who came before you were destroyed Because of going to extremes in religion So like we were talking before People think the bigger stone the better Hit the shaitan more There's no shaitan there It's a symbolic act If you want to enrage the shaitan Don't obey him not throw stones at him and then you're his best friend, you, you do everything Shaitan loves. If you want to enrage the Shaitan, obey Allah, fear Him, and disobey the Shaitan. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah Al Jama'ah.